Welcome to Movies the Meal, a podcast where we talk about movies and other things while we eat. This week, Keith and I are turning to our streaming services for three movies. First, you're going to hear Keith talk about a new documentary about filmmaker David Lynch called Lynch Oz. Then you'll hear from me break down the new, based on true events, Netflix film called Paint Hustlers about the rise and fall of a drug company with questionable practices, starring Emily Blunt, Chris Evans, and Andy Garcia. And then we'll close... Still on Netflix, with Keith giving his thoughts on the black comedy horror film El Conde, a satire that portrays Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet. But here's Keith first with Lynch Oz. In this weird world in which stream movies pop up all the time, and sometimes indeed seemingly out of nowhere, I do enjoy being surprised without even leaving my living room. The longer-term implications for movie theaters is, of course, a problem that troubles me and all movie lovers, but that's a subject for another time. So I'm here to talk about Lynch Oz, a truly enchanting documentary that I indeed never heard of until it popped up in my inbox thanks to my email reminders from the Criterion channel. As a fan of David Lynch, and of course The Wizard of Oz, I was instantly intrigued to see this one when it premiered on Criterion on Wednesday. There are many charms to Alexander O. Philippe's documentary, but most of all, it's a true valentine to movies and a treat for movie lovers. That's a term I and many other people use far too often, but here it's definitely true. And also, you don't have to be a mega fan of David Lynch to enjoy this, but it certainly helps. I've seen everything associated with Twin Peaks and more than half of his feature films, but I'm far from a completist. So I can tell you firsthand you don't have to be one to thoroughly enjoy this. So what is Lynch Oz all about? Using a treasure trove of film clips and insight from seven directors and film enthusiasts in six chapters, it explores how David Lynch and indeed movie lovers everywhere have been obsessed with The Wizard of Oz, and in particular how that obsession can be tracked throughout David Lynch's movies. If that sounds like an academic exercise, it thankfully rarely is here as the movie clips and accompanying commentary are often as fanciful and elliptical as the best of Lynch's works. The best-known directors here are two of my favorites, Karen Kusama and John Waters, but other chapters are led by film critic Amy Nicholson, Rodney Asher, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, and David Lowry. The fun here, along with just enjoying the clips from Lynch movies and tons of others, is little insights about what Lynch means to these fans. Highlights include Kusama detailing how Mulholland Drive, easily one of my Lynch favorites, at first thoroughly disturbed her and then became one of her favorites too. And Waters, of course, has the least analytical chapter, but the funnest, including his personal recollections of meeting Lynch at, yes, a Bob's Big Boy restaurant. The real magic of Lynch's movies is you can search for meaning in them, but always take away from them whatever you want to. Lynch himself has delight in this mystery, and is clearly what inspired Philippe, too. He's not a director I had heard of before, but definitely one who's obsessed with movies, as many of us are, and it shows in a look at his filmography, which takes on fun subjects ranging from William Friedkin's The Exorcist to the shower scene in Hitchcock's Psycho and many more bits of movie minutia. His next one we'll hopefully all be able to see soon is You Can Call Me Bill, a documentary about William Shatner that premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival in March. So I'll enjoy tracking down his documentaries, just as I think movie fans of all stripes will enjoy delving into Lynch Oz. For its appropriately askew but a thoroughly fun approach to David Lynch flicks, The Wizard of Oz, and just movies of all kinds, I'll give Lynch Oz three and a half stars. What drew me to Pain Hustlers, which is based on the 2022 book of the same name by Evan Hughes and centers around a high school dropout, played by Emily Blunt, who lands a job with a failing pharmaceutical company in Central Florida, where she soon finds herself within the center of a criminal conspiracy, was less about the story and more about the performers. Emily Blunt and Chris Evans are two of Hollywood's most recognizable names right now. Evans rocketed to another level of stardom over the last 10 years, well, Blunt is no stranger to franchise fare herself, from Mary Poppins to The Jungle Cruise. What separated the two, in my opinion, is their choices outside the blockbuster genre. Blunt seems to have found more critical notice in her career with movies such as Sicario and this year's Oppenheimer. Overall, 
Paint Hustlers comes across as a slighter, safer version of something like The Wolf of Wall Street. But both Blunt and Evan show something in their roles. Blunt as a down-on-her-luck protagonist whose heart is in the right place but must contend with more moral compromise as she rises up the ranks, and Evans as her mentor. Evans doesn't go full-on snake-oiled salesman, but he's definitely sleazier than what you're used to seeing him. Andy Garcia and Catherine O'Hara are fine in their supporting roles, but all their talents combined can't bring this movie to the next level. Pain Hustlers came out on October 27th, and as I record this two days later, sits at number one on Netflix's movie list. I like this movie, but I think it's one that I'll have trouble remembering in a few months. If you like all the actors I mentioned, I think it won't come away disappointed, but I can't give it any higher than a 3 out of 5. Chilean director Pablo Lorraine is perhaps best known to the world for his high-profile biopics, but his personal obsession with the life and crimes of dictator Augusto Pinochet is what drives his best work. My experience with Lorraine began with the 2012 movie No, about the doomed-to-fail campaign to defeat Pinochet in Chile's 1988 referendum. That one was an engaging political flick that verged on the satiric and starred Gail Garcia Bernal. And now with Netflix's El Conde, the new Lorraine movie I'll dive into this week, his Pinochet obsession comes full circle in a way that's as odd as it often is engaging. But first more about Lorraine and the high-profile biopics that have brought him the most attention. First up was 2016's Jackie, starring Natalie Portman as Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, followed five years later by Spencer, starring Kristen Stewart as Lady Diana. So two grand biopics that in my eye were moderate successes. Both actresses were excellent, but I enjoyed the elliptical approach to the life of Jackie O more than his take on Lady Diana. For me, overall, Lorraine's movies are best when he's personally invested in the subject matter, as he clearly is with all things involving his homeland of Chile. His best biopic of all in my book is Neruda, about the beloved Chilean poet, and that brings us to this week's offering, a satire that among its many charms is, you can say, it's like nothing you've seen before. And that was enough for me to thoroughly enjoy it as a streaming offering. So what is El Conde all about? The satire is indeed about Pinochet himself once again, but this time in the oddest way possible. The summary is Brad likes to say, courtesy of IMDb. After living 250 years in this world, Augusto Pinochet, who is not dead but an aged vampire, decides to die once and for all. From that premise, Lorraine delves into all kinds of subjects, starting with how Pinochet would indeed view his role in the world if he hadn't died in 2006. It's a balancing act, of course, because of Pinochet's record of murderous cruelty against the people of Chile, which resulted in 3,000-plus executions and forced disappearances among the leftists, socialists, and political critics of his regime. A juicy subject as Pinochet examines his life, and thankfully at its best, Lorraine's movie skewers this with a dark wit on a par with the sharpest work of Armando Iannucci. Pinochet in this parallel universe summons his five children to his outpost to announce his intention to finally die, and that they can access his secret fortune. How much you enjoy this entirely relies on how far you can go with the premise, and there's more going on here that you just have to go along with, but I guarantee it will pay off. Along with the children, a young nun played by Paula Luxinger Escobar is tasked with helping the family take stock of their assets, and perhaps even cleanse the soul of Pinochet himself. So a lot going on here, but forgive the pun, it's a truly sharp-toothed satire in the best ways, grounded by the magnetic performance of Lorraine regular Jamie Vidal, who plays Pinochet with an infuriating charm and delusion about his role in the world. In his current existence, he goes through the motions of being a vampire with an almost broken-like daily ritual, from hearts blended into blood smoothies to soaring surreally over a coastal Chilean city in his full dictator regalia in search of new victims. It helps us this is all filmed in beautiful and expressive black and white by cinematographer Edward Lachman, and that Lorraine and co-writer Guillermo Calderon keep things razor sharp throughout. For reasons that aren't truly explained until the truly wacky final chapter, this is narrated throughout by an English-language presence that also gives it an askew, fairy tale charm. In short, I like my Lorraine movies with an edge that his grander biopics have lacked, 
And along with No, the new Alcande shows the Chilean dictator at his best. For something truly different and just wickedly funny, I'll give Alcande an affectionate three stars and just say check it out on Netflix for sure. Thanks, Keith. I think it's time to wrap this episode up, so you can always reach us at moviesandamealog at gmail.com. We're at Movies and a Meal on Twitter, and you can find us on a bunch of podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and much, much more, Spotify as well. But for this episode, I'm Ben, and for Keith, thanks. Thanks.